Welcome to Career and Leadership Real Talk, the no-nonsense guide for ambitious managers who want to have more impact and progress their career. I'm Pamela Langan, a job search coach and expert CV writer specialising in helping frustrated professionals land the jobs and pay rises they know they deserve. And I'm Jackie Jagger, a leadership and mindset coach specialising in helping newly promoted and new to role leaders to avoid the dickhead trap and lead with confidence. Between us, we've helped hundreds of leaders and managers to find new roles, take ownership of their careers, and handle the challenges that job searches and leadership responsibility inevitably bring. And now we're joining forces to share with you what we know has worked for our clients. Hello and welcome to episode 13. In this week's episode, we're talking about coping in a toxic culture. And this is probably something that many of you will resonate with this is definitely something that that we can resonate with so today we're going to kick off by talking about what a toxic culture looks like what it might feel like and what you can do if you find yourself in one so Jackie what would you say the signs of a toxic work culture are for you I think there's quite a few and often it's a combination of multiple rather than any one specific thing but you're talking about things like where there is a culture of fear, where people are fearful of their boss or bosses, where there are cliques, people get excluded, where there is a lack of transparency, where results get prized above people, where there's kind of a high stress environment, where there's a real lack of trust. Any one of those things can be damaging, but any one of those things on their own can happen from time to time there can be pockets of it and it's not necessarily that that big of a deal or that difficult to resolve when you've got multiple of those hitting you at one point either within an organization or specifically from an individual or a few individuals within the business that's where it starts to be really wearing and draining of energy so what's been your experience of toxic cultures where have you experienced it so I suppose in the past there's been just probably a few occasions that I can talk about where I found myself in a toxic culture in within a toxic team and I think the key thing is when you find yourself in the situation and you start feeling stressed or unhappy about going to work or feel like I suppose it's almost frustration and You feel like you're not really getting anywhere fast, no matter what you do, it's wrong or there's people backstabbing within the team. And no matter what you do, you've always in the spotlight for the wrong reasons. I've been in situations where the boss has been almost like what you call scary boss, shouting at the team and belittling people in front of the rest of the team, which can, it can really knock your confidence when that happens. If a manager is coming at you or you're not sure I think the worst thing for me was not knowing what mood my manager would turn up in that day and kind of sitting there bracing yourself and almost like watching the clock and you're like are oh, they going to be in two minutes so they're going to be in, in 30 seconds and what are they going to be like and a couple of people would be running around if they got a cup of tea on their desk waiting for them and doing all of these things to try and improve the moods of this person when they arrive. But you never knew how that person was going to turn up. 
And it really had a knock-on effect within the team. There was a lot of what you call infighting within the team. So the team members would be pitching themselves against each other, would be arguing over things, would be, you know, undermining each other. And it was all backed up by that manager. And it was a really difficult situation to work in because you just felt like you couldn't do right for doing wrong. And everything that you did was picked apart. And it wasn't just picked apart between you and the manager. It was picked apart in front of the whole team. So you're constantly living on edge and, you know, of being humiliated or your the work that you've done highlighted for all the wrong reasons. And it just got to the point where I just felt super stressed. And I used to feel sick about going into work. And it was almost like no matter what I did, that manager would red pen everything. And it just got to the point where it was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't carry on working within this team. And what I realized is I started speaking to people outside the team and realized that it wasn't every team that was behaving like this or had this kind of culture. It was almost like they created their own micro culture. And once I realized there was life outside this team, then I started looking for opportunities internally because wasn't ready to take the leap out of the company, but I definitely needed to be in a better environment. I feel like that's such an important point to make because I feel that your kind of strategies for coping will be different depending upon whether you're in an organization where that toxicity is throughout the business or whether it's more specific. And managers definitely create microcultures within their team. So as well as a whole company culture, you will have these little microcultures within different teams that are really led by that manager. And one of the things that is so difficult is if your manager is in that situation where they are up and down, you can't read them, their behavior is really unfair and totally inappropriate from what you were describing, versus that situation where you're in an entire company. If you're in a situation where your boss is that person, then the pressure that can put on you, if you're also a manager, is huge. And I've certainly seen that with clients where they want to do a great job for their team, where they want to lead their team really well, and their manager is creating that culture. And they're then taking the pressure on of trying to shield their team from it and trying to make it okay for their team because they do really care about people. Whereas their boss is creating that. And I think the other thing I would pick out from what you said is another sign of a toxic culture is that where competition is rewarded over collaboration. And that links really to that bit about results being prized above people. I think in toxic cultures, there is this feel of, you know, people clambering over each other to try and get noticed and get to the top, as opposed to the reward being for the people that collaborate and work effectively and deliver more as a team than they could individually. And if you are somebody who naturally is collaborative and you're put in that situation where you've got to go up against people, it just feels horrible. And it's the other thing that really struck me as you were talking was I got away quite lightly with my experience of toxic culture because I think yours was very specifically around the people side. Yeah. Whereas my experience was around, I guess, more of the kind of organizational side. So mine, I wasn't in a toxic team, but what I found, I used to work in banking and this is before the banking crash. And we were in a situation where we were 
quite ambitious with growth targets. So it's retail banking. And we were expected to be hitting our sales targets. And there were people that were rewarded who were basically conning people. And lo and behold, years later, the mis-selling scandal, PPI, all of that. But at the time, being in that environment where there were people going on reward trips and people being held up as people for us to look up to because they were so great at selling. And I'm the person that's dealing with the fallout when someone that turns up into branch and is saying, oh, I've got this card and my pin doesn't match. And I'm like, no, that's your pin for your current account. This is your credit card. And they're like, oh, but I never signed up for a credit card. And they've got stuff that they literally didn't even know that they'd signed up for because they were just given a load of paperwork to sign. And so for me, that was my experience where I just got to the point of what the organization values and what gets rewarded. I'm not prepared to fall in line with that. I will not behave that way. I will not come people. And so for me, the kind of team environment day to day wasn't unpleasant. I worked with some great people, but by the same token, I knew that my career was going to be limited if I stayed in that environment because I wasn't prepared to participate in that in order to get noticed and in order to get ahead. So that was, I think, a different type of toxicity and probably easier on me personally than what you experienced. But I think it's perhaps helpful for people to recognize that sometimes there can be things that if you're not prepared to do what it takes to get on in that organization and you, that feels out of alignment with who you are and what you prize and your integrity, then kind of day to day that can feel okay. But in terms of your career prospects, you can recognize that actually this is not going to be the environment for me to be able to progress my career in the way that I want to. Yeah, and I think and that's a really good point because it's almost like you get drawn in to those toxic environments and you get drawn into those toxic situations. And then what happens then is you think, I need to get out of here, but then your confidence is so low that it's so difficult then to to think about a job search and to think about updating your CV because they've almost beaten you into submission and you, your confidence is on the floor and they've probably told you that the work you've produced isn't you know, the best and you go through that cycle and you just feel absolutely deflated. And then you've got to go into a job search situation where you've then got to sell yourself when that's the last thing that you feel like doing. And it can be so difficult then to get yourself out of that cycle because it's almost like you then stay in the job way past its expiry date because I can't possibly move because I'm not in the right headspace to make that move. And it's quite sad really because you know the knock-on effect on your family life on you personally just everything that you do in your career progression the knock-on effect is huge but you're just allowing those people to take away a little bit more each day so I think in our episodes I think it was episode number two on creating boundaries like that for me was definitely the first thing that I did in that situation that was me setting up my stall saying this is what I will and won't accept and it's hard at first to set those boundaries and to put them kinds of rules in place that you say, this is what I'm working to. But the more consistent you are with them, like, for example, I was always in the office before my manager, but then they would always be like looking at their watch the clock when I was leaving on time. Yeah, I'd already worked an hour over or more, depending on what time I'd arrived. But it was always like, oh, you're leaving already. And it's there's no acknowledgement for the 
extra time I've already worked because I've been in before you and things like that. So then at first I was thinking, oh, maybe I should stay a bit later. But then the knock-on effect was getting stuck in traffic and maybe not getting to school in time or to nursery in time to pick up my little boy. So it was almost at some point you've just got to say, no, I'm coming early. And now I'm leaving on time because I've done my hours. And that for me, that was the start of me putting a real boundary in place that said I'm not going to work past 4.30 because I need to get to nursery and I'm not going to get stuck in traffic and I don't want my child being the only one standing at the door you know with the nursery nurse waiting for me I'm not going to do that just because you're tutting and looking at your watch and things like that and it's so easy to get drawn into those situations and feel like you need to change your behavior to account for their poor behavior and their poor leadership isn't it? Absolutely. And I've definitely seen that. And the thing is, I think it's natural. It's effectively, this is a bit of a bullying situation where not necessarily intended from their part, but when you are feeling that you have to try and pander to somebody and you're trying to work around and give them what you hope they want, that often can actually irritate or frustrate or exacerbate the problem. Whereas asserting healthy boundaries actually often makes them sit up and give a little bit more respect. So I've definitely seen that pattern play out a number of times with bosses who were creating toxic cultures within their teams, where people that were kind of desperately trying to be like oh I'm going to give you everything you want and then you'll have no reason to be annoyed with me and that just didn't work and then when those people then went hang on a minute no I'm going to start to assert and like you say that can be about working patterns or it can be about a number of things but it does often result in and it it can also result in some kickback health warning asserting boundaries can give you some kickback but it I think it often does elevate you in their mind because they actually don't respect the fact that you're trying to pander to them or that you're trying to give them what they want they don't value that they appreciate that so why keep on doing it and actually when you say this is my boundaries this is how I'm going to operate and I'm not going to work until 11 o'clock at night desperately trying to finish that piece of work but I am going to tell you in advance. I'm not going to wait till the deadline. I'm going to tell you in advance. I haven't had the information I need. I haven't now got capacity to complete this. I can get this done by whatever, or I can drop one or two of these things. What do you want me to do? And that's a very different thing. And I think what I see is people constantly trying to please that toxic person. And I describe it as almost like a game of bookaroo. It's, it gets to the point where everything is, people are just going to like flip. And people are taking that pressure on themselves of trying to do everything right, trying to work a bit harder so that they can get that piece of work finished, meet that deadline, trying to do what they think is expected and just resenting that's not valued, appreciated. And then they get to a certain point where it goes pop. I think the other thing I would pick out is probably that I think both of us, without explicitly saying so far, Both of us are basically agreeing that when you are in a toxic culture, part of coping with that is creating your exit strategy. It's whether that's internal of 
it's not a toxic organization, but you're in a toxic team or whether that's a case of, no, I need to find another role because long-term this isn't going to work for me. Essentially what we're saying is, yeah, it probably does need to be some kind of exit. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it can be really difficult to start thinking about that when you're in that situation. And it's not always a boss that causes that toxic situation either. Sometimes it can be a team member that's doing things like telling tales and all of that kind of stuff. And if the manager or the leader of that team isn't a particularly strong leader, then they can be influenced by this person as well. If you are going into work and you are feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling anxious about going in. First of all, you need to recognize that. You need to feel those feelings and think, where is this coming from? And is this coming about because of the situation I'm walking into every day? Is it because I need support? Where is this coming from? Or is it just because I'm just not enjoying this job and it's not right for me and it doesn't align with who I am? There might be a number of different reasons, but I think the first thing you need to do is just recognize those feelings. So rather than bashing those feelings down and trying to ignore them, it's like asking yourself, where are these feelings coming from? And who is to blame? And it could be that no matter what you do, those people aren't going to change. So the only thing that you can do is change your behavior. And then if still nothing changes, then the only thing you can do then is start to move away from it because life's too short to stay in a situation where, you know, you are going in every day feeling uncomfortable and feeling stressed and not enjoying your job. Like when you're in flow, when you're aligned, when you're working with people who want you to grow and want to work as a team and all of that kind of stuff, then that feels good and that's good for the soul. But when you're going in every day and it's not good and it does feel like it's absolutely sucking the life out of you, then it's time to go, right, what do I need to do? And the one piece of advice that I always give to people, no matter what situation they're in, no matter how bad the situation is or how they feel like they've lost all the confidence or what they're feeling I would say get your CV updated because no matter what you do and no matter what you can do your exit strategies or what your plan is to improve the situation if you update your CV you will it's almost like that reality check and you go okay this is a bad situation but look at all of the amazing stuff I've delivered in the past and you can almost zone back in to who you are and what you can bring to the table and for most people that is like an instant confidence boost and even if you're sitting there thinking I'm rubbish at writing CVs and I don't know what to put on my CV like literally just list all of the previous jobs that you've ever done and even the current one that you're doing now because they'll still be elements that you'll want to talk about and shout about right just write a list of all of the things all of the key things that you've delivered the value that you've added all of your key achievements within them roles and even if that is just you start of a 10 then you know that will make you feel so much better and that will that will jog your memory so that you can then lean into all of the things that you're good at and what you can deliver rather than worrying and getting stressed about your current situation and it will also give you that springboard to start designing that exit strategy and thinking what comes next with that. Definitely. And I think it's important as well, that element you said about the sooner the better, because the longer you let that situation go on, hoping it's going to get better, 
before you actually take action around creating your exit strategy. If you create an exit strategy and in the meantime, things get better, great. You don't necessarily need that exit strategy anymore. But if you don't create it and then you need to create it later because things get worse, then things like that exercise of working through and giving yourself that confidence boost by reflecting on achievements, so much of that is tainted by that stage or colored by the experience you're having and the impact on your energy levels, your confidence. And I know I've seen that from recruitment side where I've had candidates in front of me and you feel for them because you can see that their confidence has taken a batter in, but you can also see that what they're motivated by is getting away from where they are. And it's really hard as a candidate at that stage to present with passion for an opportunity that you're going for because it gets to the point where the tipping point has been reached and it's not that you actually want that job. It's that you just really don't want to be where you are right now. And recruiters will spot that and that makes you less appealing as a candidate because they don't feel that you're committed necessarily to their opportunity. They can see that the bigger driver is you getting away from where you are. So the sooner you can take action, to update your CV, to be ready, to look for other internal opportunities and external ones if necessary, then you make it easier because you're not at that stage of being absolutely desperate and you will come across very differently. You'll be able to write your CV with much more conviction. You'll be able to present an interview with much more conviction. And we've covered stuff around your CV and around interviews in previous episodes. So we can link to those in the show notes. And obviously, you're also got your download that people can get from careerandleadershiprealtalk.com that gives tips on CV writing, and making sure that people can create a strong CV. So we've got make sure you have an exit strategy. We've got look at the boundaries that you need to assert. What else do people need to do if they are in that situation and they've got to cope for a period of time? with being in a toxic culture because with the best strategy you might not be out immediately yeah and so i think one of the key things for me is avoiding the gossip so not getting drawn in to those negative conversations because you can guarantee the person who is creating that to toxic environment will be talking about people within the team that's generally what happens and then the people within the team will be talking about the manager and or maybe cross department people so you just don't want to get drawn into any negativity into any gossip especially if things that they're saying are not your view you can always opt out of the gossip or just let people know that isn't your view on the situation maybe offer your perspective on it but don't get drawn in to talking negatively about people because when you get drawn in to that that those gossipy conversations you just drag yourself further and further down it, it, it's never positive, is it? Absolutely. And I think what gossip does is focuses you on the things that create the frustration, the annoyance, the upset, the high emotion. And for your sanity and well-being, the more you can avoid that, the better. I think it's very easy to be drawn in smaller ways and then it's harder to extract yourself from it. But I think that's the thing. If you recognize that you have been or are getting drawn into gossip, then extracting yourself from those conversations and saying, do you know what, having these conversations 
about all the frustrations that I have with my boss is not changing the situation. It's not doing anything constructive to make anything better. So I'm not going to focus my energy and attention on talking about it. And that's not easy to do. But if you can do that and draw yourself out of it and recognize when it's happening and catch yourself, then it can make a really big difference. And that's not to say that you would never, ever vent. But I think there's a big difference in talking to people outside of the situation and just being able to go and express it as opposed to being drawn into workplace gossip because that has a tendency to create a cycle. And the more it happens, the more it continues to happen and the more that you get sucked in. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And I think the final thing for me around that is making sure that you create the work-life balance that works for you as well because when you start getting sucked in it can be easy to work extra hours and it can be easy to take on more work to please the toxic manager or to stay later to appease them so I think it's really key to decide what does your work-life balance look like are you taking lunches are you taking regular breaks because if you don't look after yourself you'll just hit burnout so you'll hit burnout and you'll have all of this toxic stuff going on in the background and it can, you know, it can really affect people's mental health. So I think if you recognize that you're in that situation, it is, again, it's about creating those boundaries, but it's also making sure that you've got the right work-life balance as well. I've definitely seen examples of that where people have been, so a specific one that came to mind as you were talking is where somebody is part-time and their working hours are such that they've got defined working hours. And then there's a real temptation to check your emails outside of those working hours. And then something urgent comes up and then there's a real temptation to address it. And before you know it, you're working full-time hours, but only part-time. And often that's driven by the fear of, I can't drop a ball. You know, what if, and sometimes there can have been comments about the fact that you're part-time or you're only part-time, small things that give that idea that people don't value you as much because you're working part-time and can really start to drive that overwork behavior where you feel like you've got to be available and be switched on. And sometimes or often it starts in small ways of, oh, I'll just do, I don't mind, I'll just do this little bit or I'll just have my emails on the phone so that if anything urgent comes up, but it keeps you attached to it and switched on, which then creates the cycle where you do more. So then you've been doing more and then because you've been doing more, you feel like you've got to continue doing more because then you can't do it. And often I've, what I've said to people before with that is if you were a freelancer and you only had, you had a number of different clients and you had so many hours to allocate, then if that job was too big for those hours, then the negotiation and discussion would be, you've got this many hours to use. What do, what's the priority? What do you want to get done within those hours? And if you're in that situation... And it can happen whether you're part-time or full-time, but I just know it happens a lot for people that are part-time where they then end up with kind of scope creep and doing more hours. But I think that's a really key thing is when there is that tendency and that temptation to try and pull back and say, hang on a minute, let's have the conversation of all of this isn't possible. What's the real priority here? What needs to get done in the hours that I've got available? And I'm not suggesting never work an hour above. 
I've certainly been there and done that and worked plenty of extra hours. But it's about recognizing, like you say, the impact of that on everything else that you've got going on in your life and on making sure that works for you as a whole. Have your exit strategy, have your boundaries, don't get drawn into gossip. Any final points on how to cope while people are still in that situation where they are in a toxic culture? I suppose it's it's a good opportunity for you to really test yourself and push yourself, even though it feels bad. For me, it was a real learning experience and it was an opportunity for me to call out some of that bad behavior, you know, in in a positive way. It was it helped me build my confidence in having those difficult conversations because I'd already started the I was planning the exit. I was already started applying for jobs and stuff. And it was a real opportunity for me to to upskill in dealing with difficult people and most surviving in that toxic work environment. So it was almost like I removed myself from the situation and it was like, okay, so I know this is not going to be forever now because I've already started looking at other options. So what can I do to learn? How can I have these difficult conversations? And first of all, it was about kind of addressing them lightly, kind of almost testing out how far can I go with this conversation and really increasing my skill level in that area. And it worked actually really well. And by the time I was leaving that team, it was almost like there'd been a massive shift. And in some ways, I'd turned a lot of it around because people were no longer targeting me or going against my boundaries. I started to be really consistent. I was providing regular updates so that nobody could question what I was working on, what I'd done, what I what hadn't done. So it made me a lot more structured. It helped me with having difficult conversations rather than kind of going head to head with people. I was like, could we just have a quick chat? Maybe we could go for a cup of tea and just have a quick chat because the nerve is something that you're not happy about. Or maybe we can just chat through it and just starting to break people down in that way rather than just going head to head in the office where it was already tense and just almost getting to know people and understanding the challenges they were facing. That behavior still wasn't right. But when you get to know people and understand them, better it made me understand where they were coming from and that helped me then almost have that conversation that says that's fine and I understand that it was about empathizing but it was also like when you do this it makes me feel like that and I just needed you to know that because it's been really difficult for me working in this office over the last few months and I don't feel like I've been able to get anything and it's been really stressful for me and even just having that conversation and helping them to understand where I was coming from that actually helped strengthen the relationships and actually did change what was going on I would just say use it as a as an opportunity to to always see can can you have more difficult conversations what support do you need to have those difficult conversations is there anything that you can do so that you don't walk out of there and think I wish I would have said this and I wish I would have said that it's almost like you can almost have a go at doing those things and know that there's nothing else I could have done to improve that situation. And I think the only thing I would add is the value of finding community, the people who you who will get it and who will understand what you're experiencing and who can be a support for you during that phase. So that might be people, allies within the workplace, people who do believe in you, people who see the good in you and strengthening those relationships 
It might be people outside of work who have experienced that and who can offer some empathy and some support and some guidance and some advice. And particularly if it is around individuals, it can be really helpful to find people who seem to have a better relationship with the people that you're struggling with, whether that be a boss or a team member. If you can see people that seem to have got it nailed, then there's that opportunity to be upfront and be like, I'm struggling to build the relationship with this person and I feel they think this of me. How have you managed to build the relationship that you've got? Because is there something, is there a trick that I'm missing? And I think that can be really helpful because they sometimes will be as simple as that they will have an idea about how they communicate with them, about what's important to them, about whatever. But there the sometimes can be things that people can see that you might not be able to see from where you're stood. So I think finding those people who can be a support to you, both emotionally in terms of as you go through it and are coming out the other side, whether that be finding a new role or making the changes you need to make, and also can support you by giving you some kind of practical advice, strategies, suggestions, the things that might be able to influence that person or those people where that's happening. Perfect. So that brings us to the end of the episode. We will be back again next week. In the meantime, as ever, we would love it if you would rate and review if you've got value from the episode. On Spotify, it is so simple. All you need to do is literally go into the podcast, tap the number of stars, and that will do the job. So we would love to be found by other people. So if that has been useful, then that would be much appreciated. Thanks a lot, and we will catch you next time.